A little bit different twist this morning because Brother Larry and I both are, pa- are preaching this morning. Going tag team. So it's going to be a little bit different service. And uh, ready or not, here we go. We planned this week uh, sometime back to start a prayer emphasis today and go through it all of the week. At 6 o'clock every day this week, including Saturday, the building will be open for an, an hour of concert of prayer, but all the way through the rest of the day, it's going to be open till 9 o'clock for prayer. I think we decided to do that because we need to not just make this a token. We need to make this a serious week of prayer. So we are going to do some serious praying. When Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus in the first verses of chapter 2 in Revelation, I don't think he was giving them a New Year's message. But it could fit the first Sunday of a year. And here's why. He reviewed the church, and he does with with all seven. He uh, examined the church, gave his uh, findings as to how the church, the conditions of the church, and then he gave them an, an action plan, instructions on what they needed to do. And this is pretty much a template for all seven churches. Even though a couple of them, he did not have anything to rebuke or, or uh, bring judgment or, or correction to them. Ephesus is one of the five that he did bring some correction. When you think about Jesus inspecting churches, I don't know if you've ever been in a, a place where there's an inspection, but inspections just make everybody a little on edge. And everybody does their best when they know an inspection is coming. But you do realize that Jesus does not have to do surprise inspections. He already knows what's going on. He already, we, we don't have to kind of dress up everything and make sure everything looks tidy because he's going to examine us. He's constantly examining us. And he knew the conditions of this church at Ephesus. He actually commended their work habits. They were hard workers. He commended them being zealous of, of sound doctrine. How about that? Of being zealous for the truth. He, he commended them for their perseverance in suffering and, and trials. He, this was not a bad church. He, he said a number of good things to say about them. But he said the deficiency they had was monumental. And if you look in verse 4, this is where he gets to the subject at hand that's most important. See, yet I hold this against you. You have, and the word is not lost there, because we usually quote this wrong, that the church at Ephesus had lost their first love. How many know that there's a big difference between forsaken and lost? One has, if not intention, It's not a mistake. Over a period of time, he said, you have forsaken your first love. What was their first love? Does anybody know? It's not a complicated answer. It was Jesus. 
Your first love is, is Jesus when you come to know him. And look what a, a church that was. I think they even had a big bonfire in the revival that they had where people got convicted over their sorcery and all, over their witchcraft and all of the, the material associated with their pagan lifestyle. And they brought it all out and they burned it. That was their love. That was their love for the Lord that they didn't want to have anything challenging their love for him. He was the object of their lives. He, he was the focus of who they were. And he says, you have left your first love, their love for Jesus. The, the commendations he gave them had nothing to do with their love for the Lord. It was all peripheral things, how they were very busy about things, how they were zealous for doctrine, and, and they were tough and resilient people, but none of those commendations had anything to do with their relationship with him. And so he said, listen, the expense of what you've done, if you don't repent, is going to be great. He, he really got their attention, I believe, when he says, if you don't repent... Now, there's two words that he gives them in following this in verse 5. One is remember, and the next one is repent. Now, I'm going to talk about remember here, and Larry's going to come up and talk about repentance in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. But he says, if, if you don't do this, I'm going to remove your candle stand from its place. The candle stand stood for the church. He said, I'm going to remove you. I'm going to take you out if you don't do this. So I think that did probably get their attention. Remember what? What did the word remember associate with? Remember the height, the place from which you have fallen. Remember the descent of where you are from where you used to be. Interesting word, remember. It's kind of like sitting down with a, a family album of old pictures and looking at memories. We remember the past. Sometimes we wish we could forget the past, right? But we almost have this romanticism with the past in some regard. The good old days. As Jessalyn was saying, the good old days of going to church with no air conditioning. <laughs> A little church in Childersburg had windows on levers and they just, you picked them up and shoved them out and they went whoop like this, no screens on them. Bugs and everything came in and had church with you. No air conditioning. Those were the good old days. But in some regard, people see the church spiritually as being somewhat really less fallen from where they used to be. Is he calling them simply to have a moment of regret, of looking back and say, remember from where you used to be to where you have fallen? Is this just to put a guilt trip on them? Or is there something more important going on here? He was telling them to remember so they could put in action 
how to recapture that, how to hit a reset button, how to go back to the default of their first experience with the Lord. Now, I, I hear people talk about the good old days in Pentecost. My mother was introduced to it by radical Pentecostal ladies. And she became a radical Pentecostal lady. Prayer meetings was nothing for her. No matter how many it happened during the week, she was at prayer meetings. She had prayer meetings in her bedroom. She had a son that required her to have prayer room, prayer meetings in her bedroom. Because most of the time when she was back there praying in the spirit and praying and crying out to God, it was for my brother. And I really believe she stood between death and him on many occasions. But we look back on that and it's almost like, wow, it'd be kind of neat to have that again. It's almost like Every September, students get excited about see you at the pole. And they take pictures and selfies, post them on Facebook. Look how many we had at our school. And I think tragically, it's kind of like the way people reminisce about years past in Pentecost. It's just a momentary thing that they do. Until next September, where they see you at the pole again, take more pictures. And I got a question. How about see you at the next prayer meeting? How about seeing you at the next Kaleo meeting? How about seeing you at next Sunday? Seems like we have a, a means of remembering so that it just kind of soothes the mediocrity of our lives. And God is calling us out from that the repentance people went to see war room a dramatic presentation as you just saw I saw all kinds of responses to it it's almost like they have rocked back into their groove of not fighting for their marriage and not fighting for their family and that's what that movie is all about I walked out of there telling Brenda I was I was broken I was convicted. I didn't say anything until we got out to the car and I looked at her and I said, I don't fight hard enough for the souls of people. But that is changing. I want Larry to come and share his thoughts and then we'll finish up. If you're turning your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles, Chapter 7. Everybody should have gotten a card on your seat. If you'd do me a favor and grab that card real quick and then grab something to write with. I want you to do something with it. If you'll grab the card, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take one side of that card and I want you to write this on it right now. 2016. Boy, that's a silly thing, isn't it? You know, sometimes um, people don't do the things I ask them to do. And what they don't understand is whenever they don't do the silly things, man, sometimes you're not doing maybe the most important thing you do today. You see, because we're great. Oh, I'll do that. I'm just not going to make a note of it or write it or anything else. Because if I have something to take home with me to remind me, then I'm held accountable 
for what I've done. It's amazing the people that want to come to church and leave with no accountability. 2016, folks. We're talking reset. Man, pastor, you lost, you've forsaken your first love. The things that you find important to you, you make markers in your life for them. These silly tokens that I seem to give every week. Every time I speak. <laughs> and my hope is it's a reminder that you take home and you look at it. Because I know with me, of course, and God forbid that everybody would be me. Man, these are the things that I set in my life. That men have made markers. Because the things that I've allowed that God's been able to do in my life. He hasn't done just because he did it. He did it because I decided that I was going to do something intentionally and make a mark and say, okay, God, here. You see, because there's a little quip I use. People don't fail to plan. People don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. What is your plan for 2016? Second Chronicles 7:14. Familiar verse. We've heard it a bunch over the years. And it says this. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's amazing to me the number of people who think that this book was written for the lost people of the world. This is God's word for us. He, he, the, and it's, we need to read it in that way. Not real, Man, that's a good scripture for somebody I know. No. That's why he starts the scripture. I'm going to make four quick points. He's talking to his people. He's not, man, if, if the world would just pray. Boy, that's a ridiculous idea. That lost people, why would you do that unless you're just a glutton for punishment? You're some kind of spiritual sadomasochist of some sort. Okay, people who don't know God don't want God. Oh, man, that throws, so if people don't pray, maybe they don't know God. Well, you know, but God forbid I'd make a little marker to remind me to pray. Of course, that's why you've prayed 365 days this past year, right? Oh, but man, if my people... God is calling his church to pray. Not somebody else, not the church down the street, not the next prayer book that's written, pray. You know why we're playing the war room tonight? You know why we're having Sunday night at the movies at TFA? In the hopes that our church would pray. Because we believe God meant 2 Chronicles 7, 14, as he's speaking to if my people who are called by my name. Christian. I'm not an English teacher or anything like that, but like Christian, the beginning of that is Christ. It's kind of the root word. That means you know him. So he's saying, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humility is a funny thing comes in a lot of different packages it's amazing all the people that are humble some of them put their humility on display 
and they're great at reminding of their, you of their humility. We like to call that false humility. If you got to tell somebody how humble you are, maybe you aren't as humble as you think. It's kind of like those people in church just want to make sure everybody knows what they do. Because, man, they've got their list. That's what's on the back of their car. Well, here's my list. Here, God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, what does humility look like? It's, it's, like, it, it's like Joel Marvitt said. It's what you know you're supposed to do. And you just do it. Without somebody telling you, without somebody applauding you, without somebody patting you on your back. And if my people were called by my name will humble themselves. I was working in downtown Birmingham when 9-11 happened. I was working with uh, a couple of atheists, a couple of witches, and, um, and a bunch of other Americans. I mean, the witches and atheists were Americans too, but... And I, I know it's crazy... There was one Christian. There was one lady. I had to fire her, but that's another story for another day. But I know. Yeah, that was crazy. 9-11 happened. Every morning we would gather with the 16 paralegals that were working with me. And we would gather and i just kind of give them what we were doing, what they were supposed to say on, at the call center and everything. And. September 12th came, and we gathered for our meeting, and I'm getting ready to dismiss them. And one of the people looked at me, self-proclaimed atheist. And she said, hey, Larry, I know, like, you're a Christian, and you've pastored before. Could we pray for our nation today? Of course, I had to stop for a minute and see if that's what the Lord wanted me to do. I mean, I didn't want to offend anybody, right? And man, we gathered hands in an office building in downtown Birmingham, Alabama and prayed. They weren't even believers, but they felt the need to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So what are we waiting for something worse to happen? Is that what the church is waiting on? Is that what we're waiting on? Well, you know, if it gets worse, God, then I'll pray. I believe that God was speaking to his people because he felt like they knew the state of the day. If my people, the people who say they know me, 
will choose to humble themselves. Because, you know, we can have real cool prayers and great, powerful prayers. But when we become desperate enough, we will pray and man, humility will happen. Because we are so hungry. You know, that's why it's hard for me to watch that commercial every time it comes on TV. Because I hear the desperation in this woman's heart. Man, what a great actress. Unless she really meant it. Do we pray? Sure. Our kids could almost recite what we pray every day. Recitation isn't the key. They're my people. I believe this is a 2016. What TFA, what we're making is a statement. If TFA will humble themselves and play. We believe. We believe that's a part of God's future for us in this place. By doing something like we're doing this week is a crazy thing. And, and this is one of those like real uncomfortable moments in church. Like, you know, it's kind of like the people who attend here, but they haven't been here in months. But this is where I go to church. That's my church. It's my family. You know, it's kind of like a somebody I talked to a couple weeks ago, a couple I'm counseling and I asked him if they were in church anywhere. He said, no. He said, people hurt my feelings or something else. I said, well, man, I said, has Leah, your fiance, ever hurt your feelings? He said, yeah. I said, well, you're just going to leave her too? Imagine if you had done that. You see, because when you make a statement and say, we're going to open this church from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. for our church to come and pray. So if people don't come and pray, They're making a statement. But then you're making a statement. And don't worry, we don't have video cameras, I don't think, do we, Pastor? Set up to make sure we get attendance every day. I know what, your schedule's not enough. Listen. Everything. As a matter of fact, Pastor and I even made a statement. You know, it's crazy. You don't have to pray here. You can pray at your house. I, You know, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean... But again, there's something to be said for. Will we hear this verse for the first time? Will we hear this verse this time? And I'm not saying people aren't praying. I don't, I don't know. But we believe it to the point that we are committed to taking a week of prayer. I'll say this. This coming Wednesday night, young people aren't going to be in the building out there. A few months ago, I told these teenagers, listen. They're not two churches here or three churches like the kids' church, youth church, and our church. No, we're this church. Okay, it's a new day. How dare we allow young people to live children's church Christianity at 12 to 16 years old? It is a new day. They are prayer warriors. They, they are, I could go on and on with the things, but again, will we humble ourselves and pray? You see, because that verse, because it says, humble themselves, pray, 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Who is this verse written for? The world? No, Pastor, like you said, God doesn't need to come in and do a checkup. He knows. This verse was written for his children. The children of Israel, specifically, we the people of God. He was saying, what he says, hey, there's wicked ways in you. That's why. One of the reasons. Why do you need to come and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways? You know, this is the point where everybody says, well, you know, nobody's perfect, Pastor Larry. That doesn't mean we need to quit trying to be. And why would we lower God's standard to meet ours? And there's the problem. False humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You see, because... Then he says, it's the if and then the then. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. And then I will heal their land. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Last week, Last Sunday night we were praying and we kind of talked about maybe what we felt like the Lord was telling us, speaking to us. And one of the things the Lord kind of spoke to me about and I just felt like he kind of put this on my heart. God removed the spiritual ceiling that we have set for you in our lives and in the life of Tuscaloosa First Assembly in this city. It's been said that good is the enemy of the best. I've recently made the statement. I think the greatest need in the city of Tuscaloosa is for us to stop building good girls and good boys and intentionally build godly men and godly women. I think the South has eat up with good. Good is the enemy of the best. We don't need another good man. America needs a godly man. We don't need another good woman. America, Tuscaloosa, this church needs another godly woman. Pastor. With me, if you will. Um, I don't know what you wrote down on your card, but I wrote... Pray, who am I fighting for? Fast, what weapon am I fighting with? Advance or go forward. Battles are won by advancing armies, not by armies stuck in fortresses. Commitment, battles are not won quickly. 
I want to tell you something. If you watch the evening news, you watch more negativity in 15 minutes than you would in this movie. You watch the weather. You've watched more negativity <laughs> than you've watched in this movie. And yet this movie profoundly impacted my life. I'm just really a voice. I don't believe I or Pastor Larry is calling this church to prayer this week. I believe God is calling us to prayer. And you're going to have pushback by the enemy and by the flesh. Figure out what you're going to fast. Give up your phone one. Hey, not a day. How about an hour? How's that? Start with an hour. Give up something that's of value to you for something more valuable. That is time with Jesus. Would you join me up here just praying for the year and praying for God to get a hold of us and I just want to see Tuscaloosa changed. So join me in this closing time of prayer. There is power in the name of Jesus.